Thank you, folks, for entering into the worship today and lifting your voices. Um, it's really nice to sit at the front. Do you know that? Um, I know that the back seats get taken first, but it's really nice just to hear your voices singing those songs and worshiping together. Um, so thanks for doing that. And I, I might just say, too, that um, I've, en- I've enjoyed the music. I've enjoyed the worship. Um, and you could feel very confident about inviting anybody to come to a Sunday morning service here and uh, to enter into worship and to, to hear what God is saying to them. It's just my opinion, okay? It's my first time here. So uh, there you go. Is that all right? Can I say that? Okay, yeah, good. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, thank you for the invitation, uh, for the invitation and for the introduction. Um, so I am with a group called Vision Ministries Canada, and there are about 200 churches that have affiliated together into a network across Canada, from coast to coast, from the Rock, out—that's Newfoundland, by the way, the Highland out there, you know—from the Rock over to that other island, Vancouver Island. Um, about 200 churches, independent churches like your own, have uh, gathered together in this network to encourage one another and to join together in mission together, in the mission that Jesus has given us to bring his love and his truth to Canada. And so um, that's what Vision Ministries does. And I think there's a video that we're going to see. This is the 25th year of Vision Ministries Canada. And I'd like you to look at this video and I'll make a couple of comments about it and then we'll jump into God's word and see what God has to say today, okay? So let's, let's watch the video for a minute. Renewal. A fresh blowing of God's holy wind. The emergence of new vision within a movement nearly two centuries old. It began in 92. With one man's response to a divine nudge. A catalytic and courageous leader, animated by a passion for the lost. Then a team, and together they dreamed of innovative ways to incite evangelism and church multiplication within their tribe. VMC. A mission agency and more a partnering network of churches, national in reach, and nearly 200 strong. Networks within a network, one national partnership, five affinity groups, and 14 regional networks, connected and bound together by relationship and a commitment to cooperative mission. 98 new churches planted in eight provinces and one U.S. state, 18 of these in partnership with other denominations, And today, 82 still stand, continuing to bear witness to God's redemptive purposes in Christ. A quarter century of blessing for planters, pastors, elders, and church boards. Seasoned advice for kingdom impact and sagely wisdom in times of crisis. It's good to look back, to ponder, savor, And give thanks to the author of all things good. For history is both invitation to gratitude and inspiration to press onward for greater faithfulness. Canada. A blessed country, peace-loving, 
prosperous and free. But one where secularity creeps and memory of the Christian narrative fades, a daunting mission field. Our solution? The gospel. Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ raised, and Christ ascended. We will embody it and proclaim it. We will perform God's unfolding drama of redemption, faithfully improvising in each unique context. But no monologues or soliloquies, no solo performances. Rather, each church's gospel performance will be supported by others from the VMC cast. Desperate for the Spirit and passionate to see our fellow churches thrive, we will together find imaginative and meaningful ways to participate in God's work to make all things new. Women and men transformed, homes healed, communities restored, and ultimately, God glorified. Vision Ministries Canada. More and better churches. So that's the video. And uh, Vision Ministries, this is the 25th year of VMC. And so we are celebrating not Vision Ministries, but the God who has worked through Vision Ministries for these 25 years. And you know, the fact that there are, that there have been almost 100 new church plants across Canada is quite, it's quite exciting. Very grateful that in so many, you know how there are new subdivisions in so many cities and so on, and no church there. So um, new churches have been planted, and often with new um, groups of people coming from other countries, uh, they've come, they want to worship in their their mother language, and so there are quite a number of um, new immigrants to Canada, and Vision Ministries is helping to support these churches and to get the gospel out. And so I'll have some stories about some of these um, during the sermon, but just so you know, there is um, there are groups of churches across our nation that are bringing the gospel to newcomers to Canada. And some uh, very effective, very passionate at, at bringing the good news of Jesus to, um, to Muslims who have come uh, to Canada, who have been disenchanted with Islam as they have seen it and the violence of Islam around the world in various places. And they've come here with open hearts, open to uh, love and welcome and uh, and so what we're seeing across the nation is that there are people who were Muslims who are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, so I'll have more to say about that as we go. But just so you know, to be encouraged that you're not alone here, um, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ all the way across the nation who are doing what you're doing. And Vision Ministries is trying to help make this happen by the grace of God and uh, for more and better. So those are our two key words. We'd love to see more, more evangelical churches across our nation and better churches, more effective, you know, healthier, less conflict, more unity, more love, more truth boldly declared. So that's, that's really what we do. So I want to pause for a moment now and, um, well, actually, just before I pray, I want to ask you to do something and then we'll get into God's word. So, Would you stand with me for one minute, please? 
I'm going to ask you to do something that actually our, some of our Quaker friends have done for a, n- a number of years. But I wonder if you just hold your hands up like this, like you're holding water or something like this in your hand. And I'm asking you to do this because we all came here carrying things today. Some of us have been, have, we're carrying some pretty heavy burdens. There are things that just are a struggle in our world, in our life, in our family. Um, and so we come here carrying burdens. For, for many of us, we've been praying prayers and asking God for some intervention for some time, and we've not yet seen the answer. And we carry this thing as a burden. Lord, we're just, we're giving this to you. But it's not for us to carry those burdens. And so I'd ask you just to turn your hands over like you're casting these things, like you're dropping them. Because our Lord Jesus said to us, cast all your cares upon me because I, can you help me? Because I care for you. The God of the universe cares for you and asks you, asks you to not just carry these burdens alone, but to cast them upon him because he really cares for you. And then I'd ask you again just to put your hands together because now, Lord, we come with our, our hands open and empty to you. We come with our hearts open to you. We come with our ears and eyes open, Lord. Show us the wonderful things in your word, we pray. And as we've cast our cares upon you today, we ask you, Lord, to lift that burden off our shoulders as we cast them upon you because you really do care for us. And we pray that with open hearts and minds, we will respond joyfully to the good news that you bring to us today. And Lord, I pray this also, that in the mystery of your Holy Spirit, that you will do a deep work in our hearts and lives today. You're the only one who knows all that's in our lives. And so we invite you to do this work in us today. And we leave this in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thanks. Be seated, please. And um, today what I'd like to do is to do uh, a character study of a man named Tychicus. Uh, And the title of this sermon is, No Little People in God's Big Family. Okay? No Little People in God's Big Family. How many of you know Tychicus? You know, okay, one? Anybody else? Two. Okay, a couple know about Tychicus. I didn't know much about him before, and so I did a character study of him, and I've come to love this guy. And so I'd like to talk about him, and what, what, you know, expository messages like to start at a passage of scripture and walk through the scripture. Well, there are also some, as an expository way of looking at a character study, you, you go to the thing in the back of your Bible, what's, with all the lists, what's that called? Concordance, you go there and you find the guy's name. So you look up Tychicus and you find out where he's mentioned in the Bible. And then you go and you read those passages and you compare and contrast and you jot down things about his character. How did he affect other people? And then you find out all you can about the person and then you draw some lessons from this person, from their life. 
And so Tychicus, I think probably his nickname was Tick. And I think he had nothing to do with the spread of the Lyme disease, by the way. And when I said that to my wife before, she said, Doug, don't say that. It's not funny, really. But I still think it's funny, so I'll give it a try. Um, But Tychicus, he's mentioned five places in the New Testament, and that's all. And we might think of him as a very minor character, a nobody almost in the Bible, because we haven't really heard of him much before. But there are no little people in God's big family. You may even think this of yourself, that you're just one of the little people. You're really not much in the family of God. But you would be wrong if you thought that, because there are no little people in God's big family and God's big plan. Um, every person is made in the image of God. God has loved you so much that he came here and enfleshed himself in the person of Jesus and suffered keenly in order to purchase us into his family, in order to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be one of his sons or daughters, chosen, beloved. That's who you are. You are not a little, a little people. So there we are, no little people in God's big family, in God's big plan and mission. So we want to take a look at Tychicus today and be reminded that God has given us all gifts, that God has chosen us to be in his family, that God has a purpose, a very significant purpose for our lives. So let's look at him. The first place we find him here is in the book of Colossians. And let's look there, Colossians 4, verses 7 to 9. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you know where that is. Colossians 4, verses 7 to 9. And um, so I'd like to read this. And then um, we'll look at one other place. He's mentioned five places. Two are very parallel and tell us a lot about him. And the other three places just tell us that he went somewhere and did something. So they don't add too much to his character. So we'll look at the two this morning. Colossians 4, verses 7 to 9. So let me read this for a second, okay? Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. So Paul's in jail, right? And these people in this city want to know how he's doing. So Paul is sending Tychicus to these people to let them know how how he's doing. That he's actually doing okay, even though he is in prison and all. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother. So this is the first thing we see. He's a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. That's the second thing we see. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. That's the third thing we see, that he's an accurate messenger, and that he may encourage your hearts. That's the fourth thing we see about him. So let me read it again, and then then we'll see. And I'd like to divide you up into four groups here just now. So here, on this side, uh, just the front half, and you'll have to decide for yourself if you're in the front half or the back half, okay? I'd like you... This says, he is a dear brother. So over here in the front half, would you, would you just say, dear brother? That's the first thing we find out about him. We'll talk about that. At the back on this side, it says that he is um, 
a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. So if you, we just take half of that and say, he's a faithful servant in the Lord. Can you do that? Faithful servant in the Lord. Okay. And then over here on this side, the front half, uh, this says, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. So if you would say he's a faithful messenger, okay? Faithful messenger. And at the back, the final thing we see about him is that, that he may encourage your hearts. So yours is really tough. You just need to say encourager. Encourager. Good. Okay. Well done. Now, this is our introduction to Tychicus. Now, I'd like you to turn then to Ephesians, and we'll see what's said about him over there. And this is Ephesians chapter 6. So we're just back a couple of books. And Paul, again, writing about Tychicus, Ephesians 6, verse 21. And it says this, Tychicus, the dear brother. Oh, what was yours again over here? Okay. Dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. What was yours back there? Seems to be fairly consistent here, right? I'm, I'm sending him. He will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are. What was yours again? And he's a faithful messenger. He's coming and he's telling how he's doing. And finally, it says, and that he may encourage you. What was yours? He's an encourager. So we see the consistency about this guy that in some opinions, he may just be a small boy, a little guy, but he's really important. He serves some really important purposes in the early church. So now let's look at these four things, okay? First of all, what is he again? A beloved brother, um, a dear brother. The, the actual word in Greek is an agape brother. In other words, this guy is dearly, dearly loved with the kind of unique love that God has for us. So if Tychicus is called a beloved brother or a dear brother, it's because he has first of all accepted the agape love into his own life. He has received the love of God. He realized at one point that he was heading his own direction in this life and he turned, which is, you know, the biblical word is repented. He repented. He was going his own way and he turned from that way over to Jesus. He believed that Jesus is truly the son of God and the savior who died on the cross for him and rose again. And he put his faith in Jesus. So he's received this agape love of Jesus into his life, but he doesn't hog it. He's a guy who's been giving out this love of God. He's like this conduit, right? It, he receives the love of God and he gives the love of God out to the people in his world and he is a beloved brother. Just like all of you. We don't receive that love perfectly and we don't give that love out perfectly. But in essence, my friends, this is exactly who you are. You are a beloved sister in Christ. You are a beloved brother 
in Christ, if you've trusted Jesus as your savior and in all your imperfections and my imperfections, we belong to the God of the universe and we belong to one another. And you in your role in the church, in the gifting that God has given you as you serve the Lord here, you are a beloved sister or brother. I hope you feel that. Often we don't feel that. (laughs) But this is in essence who you are. A beloved sister in Christ. A beloved brother in Christ. This is precious. Second thing is this. Um, so he's a beloved, a beloved brother. What, what was the second thing again? A faithful servant in the Lord. So this is a guy then who's been touched by the love of God and he understands that God has given him some gifts and abilities and he is a faithful servant or faithful minister in the Lord so that God has given him gifts and he wants to use those gifts to serve other people. And he does it faithfully. He doesn't just kind of stand back and wait with his arms folded until somebody comes and approaches him and says, really, we, we need you. Could you come and serve or help and so on? He's one of these guys who says, God has really, God has touched my life. How do I serve? And when there's a job to be done, Tychicus is a guy who's going to be there to get it done because he's, not a half-hearted servant of the Lord. He's a faithful servant of the Lord, a guy who's anxious to serve God in everything that he can. Just like I'm sure many of you are, that you really do love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Imperfectly, yes, but you really do, and you want to serve him with your life. This is no small thing. There are no small little people in God's family. This is precious and it's very important. So he is a dearly beloved brother. He's a very faithful servant in the Lord. And what he understands is that his gifting is not for himself. His gifting is for the benefit of others. He's been given gifts to serve other people. And so his life is in the Lord. It's not just giving so he can get something back, but he's a faithful servant in the Lord in serving God in all he does. The third thing we see, what was it over here? He's a faithful messenger. So when he finds out how Paul's doing, he goes over here to this place and he tells them how he's doing and he doesn't add to the story, he doesn't subtract from the story. He's just a faithful messenger. And this is how we want to be in the church as well that when we speak to one another, we speak only the truth to each other. So that if I hear something about someone, I hear something about someone, and I'm not sure if it's true or not, and it's not very good, I don't go over here and say, "Um, I'm going to share a prayer request about so-and-so, right? Because I don't know if it's true or not yet. So, and I won't say anything to anybody about what I've heard until I go and check and see. And say, so, let's say it's Ben. Ben, so I heard this about you. Can you, 
can you fill me in on this? Just let me know, is this true? Or help me understand. Would you help me understand? So that, so that we're clear that whatever we say about one another is, is the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And, and so we're really guarding each other in the church. We're really guarding one another's, we have one another's backs and we will not gossip. Absolutely, never, absolutely, we'll, we'll be guarding each other. Now, I'm sure that doesn't happen here at Auburn, but it does happen in some churches. <laughs> um, case closed. Let's drop that one, okay? So there we are. So a faithful messenger speaking the truth. And what was the last thing again? He's an encourager. Tychicus was an encourager. He, the word in Greek is parakaleo. It means called alongside. It means that we're, here's someone, and if we're going to be an encourager, we're called alongside this person to give them courage to do the right thing. That's what encourage means. It means we, we come alongside a person, and just the way we relate to them, we give them courage to make the right choice. We empower them to, to really do the best thing and to follow Christ. This is a wonderful word, parakaleo. In fact, you may know that the, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the paraclete. In other words, the encourager. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us to en- encourage us and empower us to make the right choices. Because naturally within us, in the old flesh and all that old stuff that's in here, we have a tendency to sort of veer off to the side or to coast or something. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to empower us to follow the Lord Jesus in our life. So there are lots of verses. There are tons of verses in the Bible about encouraging one another. Let us encourage one another. But one of my favorites is Hebrews 3 and 13. Hebrews 3 and 13 says this. Let us encourage one another daily. I think that means every day. Is that what daily still means? Let us encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What does that mean? It means that every one of us, we we have stuff happen to us every day that can potentially harden our hearts. Is this true? There's garbage out there in the world. There's sin out there in the world. We have an enemy, the evil one, who wants to discourage us and beat us down with the circumstances of life, with the sin of others, even with the sin in our own hearts. And Satan is a dirty, rotten, stinking liar. And he comes to us with his lies and he says, look at you. You think, you, you say you're a Christian? Look at those thoughts in your mind. Where did you, and you think you're a follower of Jesus. Look at you. You, he's the accuser of the brothers and sisters. And so there are not only things, the thoughts that are in our own minds or the behaviors or the words that come out of our mouth, but sometimes the way other people treat us, sometimes it's the way other Christians treat us, that there can be a hardening of our hearts that 
come be, comes because of the toughness of life. And so this text says, let us encourage one another daily. I said, oh, well, Lord, not every day. If I encourage people every day, their head's going to get too big. And so, you know, and the Lord says, let us encourage one another daily so that none of you are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So it's interesting to me that there are four shades of meaning to the word encourage. And the first meaning is to comfort people when they're hurting. In other words, when a person is really hurting, they don't need to be corrected. They, they really need comfort. It's a, this is a very soft, gentle side of the word encouragement. So a story. My mom died when she was 51. I was 19 years old at the time. This was a great shock. It was the first time I really had to deal with a serious loss in my own life. And it happened over the course of about eight days that she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And they did a surgery a week later and she died the next day. It was very fast. I was away at university. I came home for this. And I remember praying like mad for her to be healed. My dad was a pastor in Brantford for 26 years. He was well-known. He had a radio broadcast. And so lots of people were praying for my mom. And she died. And I remember we were, I was standing beside my dad and the casket is here and people are coming in. So many people are coming in. And, and at, you know, at the visitation. And one guy came down the aisle. My dad was a very, very peaceful man. One guy came down the aisle and he said, well, brother, Romans 8.28 is still in the book, you know. You know what Romans 8.28 is? For all things work together for good to those who love God called according to his purpose. And my dad told me later, he's a very peaceful man. My dad told me, he said, I felt like decking him right there because I had not slept the last three nights Wondering, God, how can this ever work out for good? He did not need a word of correction. Sometimes the best thing we can do is come alongside somebody and just shut up. Can I say that in church? <laughs> we just shut up and we just listen and we say, do you know what? I, I don't know what to say. I'll be praying for you. I love you, brother or sister. I just, I'm with you. A, that's a word of encouragement that's giving courage to someone to keep walking with the Lord in the midst of an untold grief. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So that's the first thing, to comfort people who are, who are really hurting. The second thing the second meaning of encourage is to exhort or admonish someone who's starting to head in the wrong direction. Did you, this is the harder side of encouragement, all right? Where we come alongside somebody who's drifting and starting to head the other way, we actually have the spiritual boldness to come alongside them and encourage them, give them courage to choose the right way again. 
because we see them starting to drift in the wrong direction. This is not easy, is it? Am I the only one here? This is not easy, but when we love people, we're going we're gonna to come alongside them and, and help them make a better choice. So here's a story. of a, I have the joy, actually, of being involved in an Iranian church in Toronto where all these people were Muslims before, they've become followers of Jesus. And so last year I was there a couple of times. The first time I was there, there's a guy sitting in the front row who's kind of built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, he's sitting here, you can almost hear the muscles moving in him. And so after the service was over, I went down and I just asked, how are you doing? He said, no, not very well. So what's happening? Well, I miss my daughter. So tell me about your daughter. Well, she's three years old. Where is she? In Montreal. Oh, why is she in Montreal and you're here? Well, he said, I was a Muslim and my wife was a Muslim. And when I became a Christian, her brothers came over to our house and beat me up. So I left and I came to Toronto. And I really miss my daughter. I said, well, do you, do you miss your wife? No. I said, would you love your daughter? Yes. Do you love your wife? No. So, what are you going to do? So, I said, well, let's look at the Bible for a minute, okay? So, we went to Ephesians 5 that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is hard, right? This was hard for Jesus to love the church when we were still sinners. Christ died for us. This is amazing. And uh, so, so there's something to think about. Later on, his pastor came to him and took him to exactly the same passage of Scripture and said, do you know what, brother? You, God is calling you to go back and try to reconcile with your wife it's God who's calling you to do this. And so if you go back and try to reconcile and she doesn't want to reconcile, well then you can't, you're not responsible for her decisions. But imagine if Jesus up there in heaven had said, you know what, I'm not going down there. That's too much suffering. I don't, I'm not going to go and try to reconcile with those people. And he, he got it. So the next time I was at this church, Here's Buddy sitting, the Hulk sitting in the front row with this little kid, little girl on his lap and a very nice looking woman sitting beside him. So I went down afterwards and I said, after the sermon was over, I said, so is this your daughter and your wife? I said, yeah. So well, what's happened? He said, well, I went back to Montreal and, and I tried to reconcile and she's here this weekend. We're not together yet, but we're working on reconciliation. She's here visiting and it's starting to work. And so we just rejoiced in this. And two other parts of the story. Number one was that he had to go back to Montreal to go to court because he, had, he was assaulted in his own home. So he reported it to the police and then the police laid these charges against the brothers so they had to go to court. And so they're, sta- they're in court and he's asked to give a witness, vic- a victim 
What's it called? Victim impact statement. So he talks about what it's like to be in his home and to get pulverized by these guys coming in here. And um, so then he says, uh, but I want you to know this. He looked at his brothers-in-law and he said, I forgive you in the name of Jesus because Jesus has forgiven me all my sins. I forgive you. His lawyer stood up and he said, no, 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 you can't say that. There's money on the line here. Don't, don't do that. He says, no, I forgive you in the name of Jesus and I want you guys to come to Toronto and to see this church where, I've, where I am because this is changing my life, he said. The final part of the story is that this last summer, 2016, he and his wife were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus. What he needed was somebody to come alongside him when he was headed in the wrong direction with every logical reason to be headed in the wrong direction. Why do I want to go back and reconcile with her after what that? But who had, who came alongside to exhort him and to help give him the courage to make the right decision. And God in his mercy and grace brought about a reconciliation. Is this good news or what? <laughs> Thank the Lord, eh? So this is part of encouragement is to do this exhortation or admonishing. There are two more parts to the word. And one is, the third one then is to affirm a person who's really struggling with who they are and where they're headed. Is to affirm a person, a follower of Jesus Christ, to actually help that person see who they are in Jesus, connected to the God of the universe as a beloved son or daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, with a, God having a plan for them to speak words of encouragement and life into them when they're feeling insignificant, insecure, to help them feel accepted by the God of the universe, secure. In the, and so part of my personal testimony is that when I left teaching, high school teaching, I, I came and worked with a pastor for a year, and he was a mentor to me for a year. And honestly, some of my first attempts at preaching were, they were sleepers. They were pretty boring and pretty, pretty everything. But anyway, this guy kept on saying, you know what? I, I think God has given you some gifts and you keep on. Don't be discouraged because you are, a, you are beloved son of the living God and he's got a purpose for you. Keep on, press on. And, and so I needed those words of affirmation as to who I was in Jesus, my identity as part of the family of God and was very encouraging to me. The final meaning of encouragement to comfort people when they're really hurting, to exhort or admonish people when they're drifting, to affirm a person when they're really struggling with who they are, and finally, to thank someone, to express a thankful heart to someone when they've done something good. That's a way to encourage other people, is to, is to be thankful. And so... Um, Thankfulness is one of these gifts of God that when we thank people, when we see them serving and we thank them, God gives a blessing to them and encourages them to keep on serving. We give them courage to keep on with what they're doing. And so um, I'm going to close with seven ways that we encourage other people. Are you ready? We'll go through fast. Number one. 
is spoken words. We encourage people with spoken words. When we come up to someone, for example, who's caring for the children this morning, and we come to them and say, look, thank you so much for taking care of the kids today, for teaching them about Jesus, so that we can be up here and worship and, and learn from God's word. A word of thanks is a powerful thing. It gives courage to the other people to keep on. Did you know, and I'll say this just quietly here, that the leaders in your church need encouragement. I mean, don't tell them I told you so, but um, everybody needs encouragement. And when people are serving, to get a word of thanks is one of those things, those are life words that just build people up thankfulness to the people who were leading worship this morning, taking their time to prepare and all this kind of stuff. As we're thankful, we give courage to people to keep on serving the Lord that way. Second thing is written words. So there are spoken words and there are written words. Now, um, I know that there are some people who feel that there was no communication in the world before this thing came along. <laughs> and you know what? A text is okay. There's nothing wrong with a text. But do you know that people used to actually take, um, this is a pen, <laughs> P-E-N. People used to actually take these things and write on paper and, and actually put a note to someone <laughs> and put a, a scripture, write a scripture in there and actually give it to the person at church or God knows, Canada Post needs help. You might even put a stamp on the thing and put it through the mail and send something. I've been in houses where I've seen encouragement notes sitting on the table. Do you know what I'm talking about? Somebody took the time to actually write something. I thank God for you I, and, and send them a verse. And how this ministers to people to, to keep on serving the Lord is really a very powerful thing. Uh, so there are spoken words and written words. Number three is listening and being there. It's called the ministry of presence. In other words, we do, honestly don't know what to say. And often, often when we don't know what to say, we don't do anything. We don't even go, right? Because we feel awkward. But God calls us to go and to just listen and to be there and let the person pour out their heart and we come alongside and we're just there with them to encourage them and help them in a time of need. We take the time to listen and when we do that, we say, I value you, I love you. Just by being there, we encourage them. The fourth way that we encourage is the ministry of touch. Appropriate touch. And we need to be really careful, don't we, in our society now about this. But this is one of the gifts of God to us. So appropriate touch to come alongside somebody and just put your arm around their shoulders or give them a pat on the back or a good solid handshake often is a ministry to the other person. So we had a person in our church, a lovely woman. She became a widow at a young age. Actually, their only daughter had passed away 
And then a few years later, her husband passed away. So here she's coming to church. And she said to me one Sunday, she said, Doug, this is the only place that anybody touches me. I come here, people come up and say, so how, how are you doing now? How are you doing? Or they give me a handshake. Or she says, it's like Jesus is giving me a hug when I come here. Honestly, I'd never thought of that before she said that. But how the ministry of touch says, I value you, I love you. It's appropriate touch. And it's gentle. So there's touch. There's the ministry of hospitality. This is number five. So I have spoken words, written words, listening and being there. The ministry of touch. Hospitality is number five. We encourage people when we're hospitable towards them. And this does not have to be Martha... What's her name? Stuart, okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. This is not entertaining, right? This is hospitality that says, you know what? We're having hot dogs this afternoon. <laughs> Come on over. I, I won't say anything about hot dogs. It's okay. We'll let it go. But just whatever you're having. So my wife and I were at a church a few weeks ago. And after I preached, somebody came up and said, do you want to come over to our house for lunch today? Yeah, sure. So we went over and they had invited another, a younger couple too. So we're all here, we're having a nice lunch together. And what we found out was that this couple, every Sunday, she bakes up this big batch of something like chili or stew or soup or something like this and fresh bread. And every Sunday they go to church looking for somebody to invite for lunch hospitality you can't buy that in a church you know that's a wonderful gift and hospitality is one of those things that says do you know what i value you i'd like to spend some time together can we just get together and share some food and share some talk and it could be you know it could be a timmy's a coffee at timmy's or something but it just means i value you hospitality and i'm buying the coffee so Come on, let's meet. So there's hospitality. Number six is physical assistance. And that is when you just help somebody with something. So somebody's moving and you carry boxes or you help set up at church or whatever. Physical assistance is a great help. And the final number seven thing is not the list, is not the least in the list. It's, it's prayer. How do we encourage others? Through prayer. And very often, it's, we, we'll say, well, I'll pray for you. And that's really good. Um, so, but you know what's even better at times? Is to say, can I pray for you right now? And then you just put your arm on their shoulder and you just say, God, I thank you for my friend and you know exactly what he's going through at this point. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just give him strength, help him to know that you're with him, and that, and that we're with him. Encourage his heart, I pray in Jesus' name. It's just simple. What a blessing though, eh? And is it okay to pray on the phone? Absolutely. And oftentimes somebody's just told you something on the phone. You say, can I pray for you before we, before we go? And those are times of ministry that give incredible encouragement to other people. So, encouragement what a blessing Tychicus did that all over the place people loved him he was a beloved brother 
and he was a faithful servant using his gifts and he was really a good messenger and a great encourager of other people. So I'd like to just ask you and challenge you at this point. Um, I think there are seven days in the coming week. Is that true? Okay. I'm wondering whether over the next seven days you might intentionally plan and covenant with the Lord that you will do seven acts of encouragement over the next seven days. That you will make a plan in obedience to God's word that we're to encourage one another daily so that nobody's hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That you'll make it an intentional plan to encourage someone. Maybe you know somebody who's actually drifting and they need you to come alongside and just say, you know what, I think I'm seeing this. Is that, is that right? Because I want to encourage you to walk with the Lord. Whatever it is, hospitality, whatever, that you would intentionally choose and plan seven acts of encouragement over the next seven days to be an encourager like this. And wouldn't it be wonderful if people in Peterborough say, you know what, those people at Auburn, they're just, they, like, they encourage one another all the time. What a place to be. That's pretty neat. So, Lord, here we are. We're, we're just ordinary people, but there are no little people in your family. You've, you love us, Lord. You've accepted us into your family. You've made us secure in this relationship and very significant people in your family. Would you help us this week? We can't do this on our own. We ask for the filling of your spirit and a sensitivity to how you're working, that we would be encouragers, Lord, for your honor and glory and for the good of your people. Help us now, we pray, and thank you for the encouragement that you give us day after day. If it were not for your great loyal love, we'd all be consumed. But your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord our God. Help us, we pray, to honor you and to shine for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.